All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 20. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 20. And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time just with you and your word. That your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight and the kids would have a great time in their classes and um, that they would have that moment with you also, that time with you, and then just this whole place would be peaceful. Just a, a, a time of refreshing, Lord. These, these times alone with you are times of refreshing, and we thank you for giving us these times. We know we need them. And so, Lord, I pray that you, as has already been prayed, speak to our hearts, um, that your word would just touch whatever aspect of our lives you want to touch. And um, we thank you that you're the comforter, that you send the comforter, and that um, your Holy Spirit is so present and just wants to give us that peace and knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking of that as I was, even as I was praying that Jesus' heart was to just really convey, you know, he really wanted everybody to know, and God wants us to know. He doesn't want us to have too many mysteries. There are some things God keeps from us, and there are other things he tells us, and of course, my attitude, and I'm sure that is for most people, I always want to know what he's not telling me. What, what, why, why won't you tell me? Well, why don't you pay attention, God says, to what I am telling you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got that. But what are you not telling me? And I noticed that with his disciples. It's the same problem. They're, they're hearing him. Yeah, yeah, we know the greatest. The greatest has to be the least. You've got to be the servants at all. But who's going to sit at your right hand and your left hand? Well, it's not for me to, to give. That's up to my Father in heaven to give. He's got that like predetermined. Some guys already picked out for that. Like, okay, well, can we be those guys? No, you can't be those guys. He goes, he goes above and beyond to tell us what we need to know, what's expedient for us to know, and, and the disciples always want to know what, what he's not saying. So I pray tonight, and my heart is for tonight, that we would hear what he has to say to us tonight. Not what we expected from him or what we'd hoped to hear from him, but we just truly listen to chapter 20 as Matthew, the writer, conveys his heart of what the Holy Spirit led him to write for 2021, you know, for us right here. In verse 1, Jesus is continuing to try to teach the disciples about who the greatest is, and so he gives them a parable about the vine dresser, the vine owner, the vineyard owner, and how he hires out workers. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So off they go to work. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle, like last hour of the day. It said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? It's because no one's hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you'll receive. That's our first break, because in the Midwest, we don't really have this going on. But if you're in California, and I lived there for two and a half years, and I know some of you lived there longer and have been there, but you'll go to the quick shop or the convenience shop, and there is one on every corner, a big one, you know, and there will be 10 to 20 men standing there just waiting and they're hoping to get picked up for a job that day. You know, um, a lot of them are unemployed, but are excellent workers. And I, it, the truck pulls up, a landscaping crew will pull up, a roofing crew will pull up, anybody, usually labor. Uh, it's usually just labor, um, not skilled labor, just labor. And they'll just hop in the back 
And that's it. That's their 100 bucks for the day or their 200 bucks for the day. And they'll go off. And so I've seen that. So I know exactly what's happening here. And if you've never seen that, then you might not understand. But truly, these guys would wait around just for someone who needs a laborer that day, you know? Um, and so this vine dresser goes out and he finds these 20 guys standing there, you know, he says, Hey, I got a harvest. Let's go. Yeah. You know, they're all about it. How much were we going to get? Well, denarius. Okay. And so they go out and it goes again and again and again. You get the picture. He hires them at different times. And so the assumption is there's going to be different wages. Okay. Now I also know, um, uh, I've heard this, uh, a certain roofer in town, He'll get some guys to work for him. And it, really, this is any roofer in town. Um, but I heard this story from a specific roofer. And they'll go down and they'll hire a bunch of guys uh, from St. Joe. And they'll come up here and they'll start working. And, they'll do, and about halfway through the day, they'll sit down. And not just for a siesta or a break. It's they're done. They're going to walk off unless they get different wages. They renegotiate their wages at noon. So if you want this roof done, we're going to renegotiate the wages. And what are you going to do? You know? And so the guy says, so I keep a, I keep a pocket of hundreds with me because I just got to throw it out to him so we get the roof done. Kinda, and that's how it works. And so it's an interesting little uh, culture here. Most of us know that we, when we get our job interview, we decide on what we're going to get paid. They decide what our job description is. And we hold to our job description. Not going to make me do anything other than what I signed up for. And, and they say, how come you're not doing the job I signed you up for? You know, and, and so we have that relationship with our boss. This is different. This is different. You notice the first group was the only group that he made agreement with. The second group, he just said, whatever's, whatever's right. And they're like, that's fine. Whatever. I just want a job. I just want to work. I'll do anything. I just want to get in there, you know. And so the heart is different. It's a little bit different. The other guys negotiated, you know. What are we going to get? And once they finally got to that, they went out. And so they agreed to a price. And that's really the thrust. The focus of the parable is on that first group only. Just like the focus on the prodigal son is not on the prodigal son, not on the father. It's actually on the son that stayed home. That's the focus of that story. The son who stayed home, who never left, who didn't take his inheritance, did his job, did what he was supposed to do. He stayed home. He sees his brother come home, get the fatted calf, get the ring, get the robe, and he is upset about it. So those two stories, these two stories are very similar. It's about the person who's already serving God and is upset with what God is doing with other people, okay? And so they've come to an agreement. They're all out in the field and they're doing their thing. So verse eight, when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, they were the last group hired, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, so they went through all the groups, and he finally gets up to the guys that were there at like 6 a.m. and been working all day. They supposed, and there's their problem, that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Isn't that what we agreed upon? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do this? What I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. 
for many are called, but few are chosen. And that last verse 16 is really for the disciples' ears. It's not a part of the story. It's meant for them. You understand what first and last means? There's a lot going on here when I'm calling people, Jesus says. When you guys are arguing amongst yourselves, who's the greatest? And I keep telling you, it's the servant of all. And I'm looking for those kind of guys, those who will serve, not looking for position. He's going to elaborate on this a little bit. But they're not hearing him. And so there's a lot going on here as far as disappointment goes, in my mind, for Jesus. When the crowds weren't hearing him, he switches to parables. He switches to stories. Um, and I apply that to my own life. Oftentimes, I mean, I read the Bible a lot, obviously, right? I mean, that's what I do for a living it's a, I, and, and a calling. I, I do this. I read the Bible and I, and I learn and I study and I have quiet times and I, and I do all those things. And that is when God is supposed to speak to me. And that is when I'm supposed to hear. I'm supposed to open this living word and pray, God, speak to my heart. And as I read his words, I'm like, wow, that, that verse just jumped off the page. That is the moment I'm supposed to hear. And then I have dry times, as I think many of us do. I'm not going to say that you all do. Maybe you don't. But you have a dry time, and, and oftentimes God has to switch to parables for me. He has to switch to real-life application. He has to say, okay, you weren't listening in your quiet time. You didn't hear it. I've been telling you for a month and a half, or I've been telling you for six months that you need to work on this, or this needs to change, or I'm trying to do this in your life, and you're not hearing me. And so he'll bring along a real-life parable into my life. And it hits hard sometimes. And then you think back, and what's amazing about the parable in my life, whenever you go through it, and I'm not saying he just teaches me a parable, I'm saying I live it out. It's amazing how many scriptures come to my mind. Oh, Oh my goodness, that's how many times he's been trying to tell me. I remember all those times now. Oh, now I get it, but it took the parable for me to, to get it. And, and I don't know that it's a failure. It, it kind of is. Um, I think the disciples need to be hearing him. When I'm telling you, when Jesus is telling them, you need to be a servant of everybody in the room and quit worrying about who's more important to you or who's going to get top billing, you need to start serving people because that's my heart and I want you to have my heart. And you don't have my heart yet because you're still, and you don't know you're exposing yourself, but every time you guys argue about who's the greatest and who's the best or you begin to put each other down, trying to make yourself rise up, you're showing me that you're not prepared for top billing. You're showing me you shouldn't be in that position. You're showing me that you're not ready. They don't know it. They think they're doing themselves service, but they're not. And a good boss in any company recognizes that also. It's the same exact thing. When you get an employee that comes in and just starts, I'm, I'm here early. I don't know where everybody else is, but I'm here early. It's a red flag. You don't have to tell someone. You don't have to acknowledge the fact that you're here early. They, they should see that. They should watch that. They should recognize that. You should let your actions speak for you. But when you have to start pointing out your assets to the boss, that's a boss that's already got you flagged then as a problem. Because you're not a team player, you're, you're, you're worrying about everybody else and, and, and nobody likes you, you know, because you're always ratting on them, trying to make yourself look better and all that. And, and we can do that in, in church. 
It's a dangerous, place, dangerous thing to do in church. And so we're hearing this in chapter 20 tonight on a Wednesday in 2021. And I have to ask myself why. And everybody in the room needs to ask themselves why. Why am I getting taught this tonight? Very important we hear that. Because we're not going to move forward with our walk with God, with our call of God on our lives, with the next steps in our lives until I understand this. And if I don't hear this tonight, if we don't hear this chapter tonight, we can plan on a parable that'll drive it home for us. And we'll be like, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. He did share that with us. Why are they upset? They're upset with his generosity. God's generosity for the guy that only worked an hour is upsetting to them because they thought they worked just as hard, if not harder. And, and what they're looking for, and it's amazing how applicable this is, they're looking for equity. Not equality, they're looking for equity. And those are the two words we're hearing the most in our society right now as an agenda is being pushed forward for equity and not necessarily equality. Not a level starting place, but an end, a level result. And that's not how it works. A level starting place is a must. That's a, absolutely. And God guarantees us all a level start, always. But what they're looking for is the equity at the end of the road. And that's not guaranteed. That's not a promise. And I'm just talking about ministry. I'm not talking about salvation. Don't misunderstand me. If we're talking about salvation, if there's anybody that shows up in heaven and say, Man, I sinned more than everybody, and those guys sinned a little bit, and they're equal to me? No one's going to say that. You know, that's not the application here. He's speaking to his servants. He's speaking to his disciples that they shouldn't be upset that they've been working this long and got the reward, the crowns in heaven, whatever it is that we get when we're up there, equal to the guy at the last minute who says, Jesus saves, and then dies. And that was his ministry, as opposed to someone who planted a church in Maryville, Missouri, and, you know. They get that equal. That's a fact. God gives them the same. He wants them to have that. What they're saying is, I should get paid more, you know, more. No. We agreed. We agreed to what you were going to make, and you agreed to it, and you should be content with that, but there's a bitterness there. There's, there's some people being ups- they're upset about it, much like that older brother of the prodigal son who was upset at the generosity of his dad. And his dad pulls him aside and actually has the conversation with him and says, he was dead and now he's alive. Do you not understand that I didn't even know where he was or what he was doing or if he was still breathing out there? And he's come home. Do you not want me to rejoice at the fact that he's come home, that I'm happy for him, that I, I love him? You know, I would have done the same for you, but you stayed. I didn't have to worry about you. It's wonderful that you're here. I appreciated you. And you, you must think that I'm taking you for granted, which is what is happening here in this story. You really think I'm taking you for granted that you worked all this time? I agreed to a denarius. Anyway, the final result here is that, hey, um, the last will be first and the first will be last. Many are called, but few are chosen. In, in Romans chapter 14, Verses 3 through 5. This is one of the, I love this verse. I misquote it a lot, but I get the heart of it. And hopefully that's why I'm reading it tonight so I don't misquote it. 
And it's not about the eating necessarily. It's really about verse 4, but I'm going to read 3 and 4 so you can, you can, we can keep it in context here. Uh, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. This is the point. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. What you're doing for God is not for me to judge. I don't have to participate in it. If you ask me, I might participate in it, but I don't have to. But either way, you go do what God's called you to do, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do. But we can't look at each other's ministries or callings and say one thing or the other. It's, it's God will keep you. Not worried about you at all. If you're really of God, God's going to keep you going. It's going to be wonderful. And if I'm not really of God, God's going to wipe me out. He always does. He's faithful to do that. We don't have to judge. We don't have to be in those places or put ourselves in that position. The disciples were constantly evaluating each other, not themselves, but each other. John and Peter, you're going to see that. I mean, right after this story, James and John get their mom to go ask Jesus to be on the right hand and the left hand. Right after this story. And I think Matthew writes these things down in order. He's like, and, the, and here's what happens. I mean, it's like the next day. And we were furious, he's going to say. The other, the other ten were furious with those two for trying to get in with Jesus and to be the right hand and the left hand. And we were mad at them. Why? Because they didn't think of it first? You know, they're mad because they're in constant evaluation of each other, constantly looking for each other. Paul writes to the Romans and says, it's up to God. They're God's servants. And if he doesn't like what his servants are doing, it's up to him to correct those servants. We don't want a bunch of butlers saying, you're not carrying your tray right. You know, you're not carrying your tray. Well, who made you head butler? You know, you didn't open that door right. In the house of God, in the, in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to let people do what they're doing. And, and if God wants to, look, there's a lot of bumbling and fumbling when it comes to ministry. There just is. People are in it. That's why there's a bunch of bumbling and fumbling. If we weren't in it, it'd be great. But when you have people, men and women, called to ministry by God, they bumble and they fumble a lot. And that's okay. It's, I mean, it, it's up to God to say, quit bumbling and fumbling, or you need to... Hold your wrist more like this when you're carrying the tray and you wouldn't drop it so often. Change your ministry a little bit. Do a little bit of work, but you let the Father do that training and that changing. You let the Holy Spirit do that ministering to them. And Jesus is trying to show them that. I wish you guys would just wash feet is what he's getting at. I wish I could get you to understand that. So Matthew then writes down the very next thing on his mind. Verse 17, now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. That's pretty detailed. And Matthew is writing this down now because at the time he wasn't listening. Jesus told them all point blank, here's exactly how it's all going to go down. In fact, one week from this statement is exactly how it's all going to go down. One week, seven days. 
And every one of these guys who heard this statement right here will not understand what's happening right before their eyes, even though Christ Jesus told them this is what's going to happen. Jesus gives us so much information about the last days, so much information about how it's all going to go down, what to expect, what the, what the mark of the beast is going to look like, what, what's going to happen when that happens. And I'm just, I'm just shocked still that people think, there it is, the mark of the beast. No. Don't you read? And you find yourself saying the same things that Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Have you ever read well, yeah, I read it. It says the mark of the beast is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a number. and It's like the number of men. No, it says that you have to deny Jesus Christ. And it means that you have to accept the Antichrist as your Savior. It means that you're going to renounce your faith and you're going to buy and sell with this new mark that you can only get if you renounce your faith. I mean, no, your, your social security number is not the mark of the beast. If they put a chip under your hand, it's not the mark of the beast. If they put a chip in your head, you're crazy, but it's not the mark of the beast. It isn't. Now, if they come up with a chip and say, renounce Jesus Christ and I'll give you the chip to buy and sell, otherwise you're going to starve to death and your whole family will die. Okay, red flag, you know, red flag. But I think a chip under my hand would be all right. You know, I wouldn't lose, I lose my wallet all the time. So I'm that guy, you know, it's like, where's my, oh, it's my hand. Ding. And I can go, you know, and they can track me and my privacy's gone and all that. But it's not the mark of the beast until that happens. And guys, if you're around, <laughs> if you're around for the mark of the beast, you've got a lot bigger problems because you missed the rapture. And so there's a whole nother issue there. All day. This is the mark of the beast. And we're all in big trouble because we've all misunderstood scripture, you know, and we better reevaluate. These guys were specifically told, here's what's going to happen. And he tells them that on purpose so that they're not freaked out when it happens. John chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, warning them that they were going to suffer the same things he's going to suffer. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And there's supposed to be something peaceful about that. When God or Jesus or whoever tells us, one of the Trinity tells us, I know what's going to happen before it happens, that's supposed to bring comfort to us because if he knew it and he allowed it and I'm in it, then I'm going to be okay. He's got me covered. Something about God knowing. Tomorrow is a mystery for everybody in this room. We all have agendas. We all have ideas. I've got a list of things I'd like to accomplish. <laughs> Me and my lists, you know. But I do, and that's, I think that's important. I think I plan my ways. I plan my ways, but the Lord directs my steps. And tomorrow, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know until, it's gonna, until it unfolds. I do know this, that tomorrow, if God lets me breathe, he's got a calling on my life. And this is what I'm supposed to do for him tomorrow. And that is to be the kind of person he wants me to be that correctly reflects him to the world around me, regardless of my list. It could be doing my list. I could be selling the house. I could be mowing a lawn. I could be doing something for Jenny or I could be something for the kids. Either way, that doesn't matter. What I am to be, though, and I know this, is to be like Jesus to everybody around me tomorrow. That has to happen. 
regardless of what happens. And oftentimes when my list isn't getting taken care of, I don't do what my primary goal on this earth is to do, and that's to be like Christ. I turn into antichrist at that point with all those around me because my list isn't getting done. I missed the point. Tomorrow our job is to be like Jesus to everybody around us. And what we get to do, however God wants to reveal that and to whom he wants to reveal that tomorrow is up to him. I'll I'll plan my ways but I have to let him direct my steps. He tells these guys exactly what's going to happen. He tells them these things so that when they happen, that you know. Now he's telling them about the difficulties that are going to go through, the trials they're going to go through. I want you to know that. So when the trials and the difficulties come, you don't think you've done something wrong, that you've taken a misstep, or I should have taken a left when I, when I took a right, or maybe I need to go back, or maybe I'm off track. No, no, no. I told you these things were going to happen. This is what happens when you're on the right track. Imagine what would happen if you're on the wrong track. But you're on the right track, and you're going to run into people that hate Jesus. And because you love Jesus, and they hate Jesus, and they're on the same track, you're going to butt heads. It's how it is. And so I want you to know this beforehand. I am going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, they're going to betray me. And they're going to turn me over to being scourged and to be crucified. But... But the good news, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to defeat it all. I win. And they're supposed to hear that, and they didn't. And Matthew knows that, and that's why he writes it down. It was at this point, Jesus told us exactly what was going to happen, and it's at this point, none of us heard him. Verse 20. When the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, sons of thunder, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him, and he said to her, What do you wish? And she said, To grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. That's a good Jewish mom right there. My boys are good boys. They're good boys, and they'll do everything you need to. Let them sit on your right hand, and they won't let you down. They've never let me down or their dad down. Well, didn't they leave their nets and leave him hanging without fishermen to help him? But okay. I wonder what dad looked like at that point. Dad, we're going to follow this Messiah around for three and a half years. I mean, that's like saying I'm going to get an art history degree. You know, oh, that's great. That's a moneymaker right there. That's going to do great. I'm sorry if you have an art history degree. They're wonderful and very valuable. (laughs) But poor James, his dad's going, yeah, I got the nets, boys. It'll be fine. You know? And so good mom comes and says, can they sit at the right hand or the left hand? Now, Jesus is very respectful, always, always. And Jesus answered and said, you do know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? There's a lot going on there in that sentence. There's a lot of cups we can drink from, and they're not all good. They're not all pleasant, I should say. They're all good because they come from God, but they're not all pleasant cups to drink from. Not all baptisms are pleasant. There is a baptism of water. I could do that. I can hold my breath for a little bit. Fine. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sign me up. need a lot of power. It's exciting. Pretty cool stuff happens afterwards. I'll take that. There's a baptism of fire. That's not so fun. Baptism of fire is where you get purified, where all the fleshiness, all the yuckiness, all the jadedness, it's a new word, gets burnt out, and all that's left is Jesusness. you know? 
to where he can see himself in my life, see the reflection, the refiner's fire. Those aren't fun to go through because nobody likes to see themselves. Nobody likes to see that flesh rise up in their life. Nobody likes to see that come out, the anger, the rage, the irrationality, the, the stupidity, whatever it may be, come out. Nobody likes to see that. And it's very humbling to see that come out. And yet it has to happen for us to be less stupid and to be less me and to be more like Christ and for me to die and for him to increase in my life. That has to happen. It's not a fun cup. And so when Jesus says, do you want to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with, which is crucifixion, which is scourging, which is being true to God's call regardless I mean, do we remember the garden? He says, you boys, would you just pray while I'm over here? It's the night before my betrayal. I need you guys to pray. Of course, they fell asleep. And he says, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. That's the cup he's talking about right here. I don't want this cup. If there's any other way to get all these people to heaven, let this cup that I'm about to drink from pass from me. Nevertheless, if there isn't, not my will, but your will be done. So when he asks this woman... Can these guys drink the cup? The cup that I'm not really even interested in drinking unless I absolutely have to, but will do it because I love people? Will they drink that same cup? And that's a question he asked me too, and for you. I want to be in ministry. Do you? I want to love Jesus. I want to be radical radical for Christ. Do you? Now, I encourage it. I don't think there's any other way to live. But you have to understand what cup you're asking to drink from. That's a pretty strong cup of coffee there, you know. That's a guaranteed 50-50 shot at people hating you, no matter who you meet. And I mean hate, not like uh, indifferent or ignorance or, ig- or ignoring you or whatever, but you are a targeted person in their life now. They do not like you, and they will make, every- it'll make your life hard kind of thing. It's a tough cup. And so when he asked, you want to be baptized with this? You want to drink this cup? Can you do it? They said to him, we are able. And I understand that too. Yes, he said with a positive attitude. You know, we can do it. Ever, ever have those job batteries? Now, do you think you can do this job well? After they explain it to you and you're sitting across the table and inside you're saying, I don't even, have, I don't even know what you told me. I don't even understand what you said. But your answer is what? Absolutely. Absolutely. I got this. You don't. You figure you'll figure it out, but you're, you're, oh, yes, absolutely, you know. <laughs> what, what are some of your strengths? What are some of your weaknesses? And your weaknesses are always strengths, aren't they? Well, I'm an awfully, I'm too nice sometimes, you know. Just too forgiving, too gracious. I'm, I'm always early. I'm never late. I don't know what my problem is. And that's one of these moments. Can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized? You bet. And so Jesus answers, you will indeed drink my cup. And they do. Both of them do. Both James and John are going to go through it. And I tell you what, I can guarantee when John is on the island of Patmos, writing the book of Revelation, after being boiled in oil and that failed to kill him, he's thinking about this moment right here. Uh, This is the cup. This is the cup. This is the baptism. But as funny as I'm making it tonight or trying to, it's a beautiful moment when you realize how beautiful the cup and the baptism that he's talking about really is. It is really beautiful. To to be hated for someone you love 
It's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Because you know you're standing on the right side of things. You know you're standing on high ground, his ground. You know, you know that you're being hated for the right thing. You're, you're going to be hated for something. You're, you're too pretty. You're too ugly. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too perfect. You're too flawed. You're going to be hated regardless. But if you're hated for the right thing, mm, that's a soft pillow at night, you know. And I think John on the island of Patmos said, this is a soft, hard as a rock out here on Patmos, but I've never slept any better knowing that I'm exactly where I'd want to be, knowing that Jesus is meeting me here. When they put me out to isolation, when they are punishing me for Christ, they couldn't boil me in oil and I couldn't die. So they put me on this island, this rock to rot. And Jesus meets me here and gives me the book, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's got to be sitting there saying, this is, I, would have, I would have picked no other path. I would have never avoided this island, you know. And so know that. So all they're saying, we're able. Well, okay. You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. That's not my call. It's not my call. And what a great lesson for ministry for all of us. No man puts another man in ministry. Only God does. Only God can put people in ministry. Men cannot. If men can put you in ministry, they can take you out of ministry. And you never want to be in that position. Only God can put you in ministry. Only God can use you, give you a calling. And that's who you hear from. It's the most important thing you can have when you're called into ministries, to know that God did it, that people didn't talk you into it, that you weren't encouraged by other people's accolades or slaps on the back or kudos. You'd be great at this. You'd be good at this. You'd never want to rely on that. It has to be from God because there are tough times coming. Hard times are coming. And if you can hold on to scripture and moments where God spoke to you personally about your calling, that's what you hold on to and that's what you get you through. But if it's people, that'll fail. You'd be like, well, what if they were wrong? And they're not around anymore. In fact, they don't even write anymore. They don't even like me anymore or whatever, you know. Maybe this whole thing's a joke. Maybe this is all of my doing. Mm. But if you have God. And so he says, no, only my father can give you these positions and put these, I, I don't have a say in it. Verse 24, and when the 10 heard it, the other 10 that didn't think to get their moms is really what you want to write. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know why they're displeased? Because they're afraid it might have worked. And when it says greatly displeased, that means not like I'm just not going to look at you this Sunday or I'm going to try to avoid you for a while because I'm not sure if I like you anymore, but I still go to the same church kind of thing. Not that kind of thing. They are angry with these guys and they are vocal about it. You know, these are some upset fishermen and whoever else is left of the guys. Matthew's one of them. He's upset. They're all upset. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why would you do this? Why would you try to get it? They're not all being humble, saying, Don't you, didn't you hear Jesus when he's talking about being humble? You guys are still being prideful. You're not humble like us. You guys need to stop being prideful. No, they're upset because it might have worked, because they tried to get ahead of them. They snuck around. They did an end run. We were out making fires and getting fish for the Messiah. Where were you? You got your mom, and you tried to get ahead of us kind of thing. Cheaters. That's all they're thinking. And, and Jesus, who is 
the creator of all things, regardless of whether they vocalize this or not, hears it all going on in their heads. How disappointing for him. How disappointing. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now he's trying to tie together the parable, the fact that I'm telling you that I'm going to die on the cross next week, and I'm also trying to help you with what just happened with James and John and mom over here. None of you guys are getting it. You guys are acting like the Gentiles. You're trying to lord over one another. You're trying to do this. That's not how it's going to be in the kingdom. How it's going to be in the kingdom is whoever's the best servant, they get, they get top billing. They get to be the greatest. And what these guys are looking at still is if I serve and humble myself long enough, I won't have to serve anymore. Total misunderstanding. Jesus is eternally our servant. He never stops serving us. The blood of Jesus continually wipes away our sin. It is what holds us. It is what keeps us. He is always a sacrificed lamb. When they look at him in heaven, they're going to look at him and they're going to see him, someone who's marred. John, when he writes the book of Revelation, says, and we saw the lamb who was slaughtered. That's what he looks like. Now, I won't go so far. I have in the past gone so far as to say that the scars and the wounds and the marred visage of Jesus, which is described in one of the prophets, is how he looks eternally. Like that sacrifice he made. Like I, you kind of wonder sometimes, and this is, how, this is why I taught it before this way. You kind of wonder, well, what's the big deal? I mean, okay, it's going to be a bad three and a half years, and it's going to be a horrible day for you. But you know you're going to rise from the dead and everything's going to be healed. I mean, and, and, and who wouldn't go to the cross knowing that it's only going to be 24 hours of pain to save billions of people? I mean, it seems like it even trade a pretty good deal. Who wouldn't do that? Unless when he made himself a man and he humbled himself and when he gained those scars down here and the marred visage and you know what he took on as a man down here. And when he's in heaven, he still remains that slaughtered lamb. It's, it's like forever kind of thing. And so I've taught that before because that's how John writes that in the book of Revelation. I didn't make that up. He says, we looked at the lamb as he was slain. That's how John sees him. Now he's also the lion. I understand that in heaven. And that's why I'm a little cautious about being, you know, Jesus really sacrificed for eternity. I don't know that. There's something there, and I think we'll all be surprised when we get up there. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think it's just my thoughts and ideas on the matter. You don't serve and humble yourself and be a blessing to those around you in hopes that you won't ever have to do it again. Like if I do it long enough. You do it because it's the character of Christ. It's who he is. If you ever stop that, if that ever ends in your life, then you no longer have the character of Christ because he is always that person. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Before we were made, he was a servant of all. And then he made all and was their servant. He's always been that way. To serve is to always serve, to have that heart. Jesus is saying, I want you to have this heart. Now, these guys are doing their best. They have, 
cast out demons. They have healed the sick, and, and they've had a lot of wonderful moments where the Holy Spirit has used them, right? But they have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is the most important, because although the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, wonderful, love them. Love the gifts of the Spirit. Embrace every one of the gifts of the Spirit. I think they're all for today. Don't misunderstand me in the next statement. But the fruit of the Spirit is far more important than any of the gifts. The fruit of the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit, is love. It's Galatians 5.22. Love, patience, kindness, long-suffering. But love is the word, and it's described by all those other attributes. Gentleness, long-suffering, all that is love. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthians in Corinthians 13, although you can do all these wonderful gifts of the Spirit, if you have not love, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's worthless. These guys desperately, not just the gifts of the Spirit to heal people and to cast out demons and to be very effective tools in God's hands, they need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes out of their lives. That's why we ask God for his Holy Spirit. That I'm able to do and be a servant, not as an as a ways to an end, a means, it's, 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 or a means to an end, excuse me. It's who I am now. I'm just a servant of everybody I meet. Verse 29, we'll wrap it up here. Now, as they went out of Jericho, (laughs) funny place to have all these teachings, a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Now, he's not stupid. He knows what they want. There's a couple blind guys saying, Can you help us? What do you need? (laughs) Sight, you know. It makes them say it. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received their sight, and they followed him. Now, why would Matthew say that right after all of these things we just read in chapter 20? Because Jesus is desperately trying to open the eyes of the disciples. What do you guys want? We want to have sight. We want to see what you see. We want to have the, okay, then hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Matthew realizes, I believe, we didn't see. We were as blind then, and our eyes weren't opened until after the resurrection, until after we were filled with the Spirit, until after that room, the upper room in Acts chapter 2. That's when our eyes got opened. That's when we really saw it. That's when we were able to do all the things Christ asked us to do. That's when we were empowered, not only with the gifts, but with the fruit of the Spirit. That's when it all hit, and Matthew knows that. That's when he decided to write his book. I want sight, but I want spiritual sight. I don't want God to heal my elbow or whatever's hurting me. I mean, that's fine. I mean, it is kind of a pain. I, would, I appreciate the physical tent here to be working properly. But above all, because I know it's eventually going to break down and fall apart. Above all, I want spiritual sight. I want him to open my blind eyes to who I am, to who he wants me to be. I want him to fill me with his Holy Spirit that I might be like Christ tomorrow, even tonight, to everybody that I meet, and that that be my primary top thing on my list. If nothing else gets done or whatever gets done, I want to be that. And I pray that for all of us. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We heard it. We heard Matthew chapter 20 tonight. We heard what Matthew's heart was, what your heart was through Matthew. As you're trying to tell us the truth, 
Help us to hear it, to receive it, to do it, Lord. To be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Help us to get it into our hearts. Fill us, baptize us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. That we might have all those, all that fruit just flowing from us for everybody else around us. We'd have patience for the people that need patience. We'd have gentleness. We'd have long-suffering. We'd just be compassionate people as you were to those two blind men. You had compassion on them. And you let them see. Lord, we want to see. Have compassion on us tonight. Bless these folks as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night, guys.